Well, I'm really glad uh, to be worshiping with you all this Easter morning. Uh, I definitely want to especially welcome our visitors. Um, and, and, you know, typically, uh, I, was, I was thinking about you visitors today, or this week as I was preparing this, because typically when you visit a church on Easter Sunday, you always get the same sermon, right? <laughs> like it's, it's like when you go on Christmas, you hear about the Christmas story, you go on Easter, you hear about the resurrection. And those are good things. Obviously, we want to talk about those things. Um, but, but rather than making this maybe more of a traditional Easter-type sermon, um, we'll get there at the end. I mean, the resurrection's really important, so we'll get there. Um, but I want to start just by continuing where we've been as a church walking through our sermon series on what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, so if you have a Bible this morning or you want to grab one of the ones uh, from in front of you in the pew, the, the black ones will be the same version as me. It'll probably help you a lot to, to follow along. Um, we're looking at a few chapters in the Bible, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Um, I don't know the exact page numbers, but I think if you're using the black Bibles, it's about page 800. So Matthew 5 through 7. Um, this is the, what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. We're calling it the best sermon ever. Uh, not that my sermon is the best sermon ever, but that this sermon that we're talking about, Jesus' sermon, is the best one ever. Um, it's one of the most famous and most influential talks that's ever been given in the history of the world. When people say, yes, I think Jesus was a great moral teacher, this is what they're talking about. Okay, they're talking about his teaching in Matthew 5 through 7. Uh, this is where we get the phrases, the salt of the earth, city on a hill, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile. It's where the Lord's prayer is found. You know, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Uh, this is where Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where he says, judge not, lest you be judged. That's where we get the idea of wolves in sheep's clothing. And the golden rule, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. This is all from these three chapters in the Sermon on the Mount. Now this sermon is Jesus' vision of how life is supposed to be. This is his manifesto. He's claiming, as he preaches this, to be the true king of the world. And he's explaining what it looks like then to be one of his followers, to be in his kingdom. Now this kingdom is not a political kingdom, like we might think of with taxes and armies and roads. Uh, and it's not, it's not even a, a religious kingdom like we might think of a theocracy where you've got these religious people in charge making all the rules and making sure you follow them. Uh, his kingdom, he, he describes it, is a kingdom where the main characteristic is love. He's saying in the perfect world where you're all following Jesus as king, we would truly love one another. We would do to others as we'd have them do unto us. Uh, we would love them. This, this is what the Sermon on the Mount is about. This is what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to teach us how to love and trying to create a community of people who really love one another. So, uh, you may not have been keeping track, but over the last 12 weeks, we've been marching through Mark chapter, or Matthew chapter 5. And today we come to the very end of that chapter. The very last verse will be our focus this morning. And here at the end of Mark, Matthew 5, uh, Jesus says something really challenging, but in the end, I hope you'll find it encouraging. Our focus will be on verse 48, the very last verse in Matthew 5. I'm going to read the whole paragraph, Matthew 43 through 48. You can follow along as I read out loud. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? 
Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. There's the challenging verse, Matthew 5, 48. You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. All right, so all I want to do today as we look at that verse is answer three questions. As we see what Jesus says in that verse, the questions I want to ask are, what is our goal as Christians? Why don't we pursue our goal, and how can we pursue our goal? So what, why, and how? Let's just jump in. What is our goal as Christians? So you look at this verse, what is Jesus saying the goal of the Christian life is? In a word, it's pretty obvious, I think it would be to be perfect. So he says, you must therefore be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, but what does that word really mean? We throw that aloud. You know, Kentucky had a perfect season up till last night. Okay, we talk about the perfect basketball season. Uh, we readily say, nobody's perfect. But at the same time, we can turn around and someone says, you know, tell me about your new boyfriend. Oh, he's perfect. We talk about perfect vacations, perfect meals, perfect houses. So what's it mean here when Jesus says, be perfect? In what way does he want us to be perfect? Well, if we look at the context of the paragraph, it seems pretty obvious that Jesus wants us to be perfect in regards to our love. He's saying the goal of the Christian life is to love others perfectly, like God does. To love like God does. If you look in verse 48, he says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So he wants us to be like our Father in some way, and when you read the whole context as we just did, you see that he's focusing on the love of God. He's saying, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Verse 45, so you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. He says, look at God. He he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just, on the unjust. He's saying, look at God. Look how God the Father loves. He's perfect in his love. He's merciful to his enemies. He is love. So to be perfect the way that God is perfect is to love other people the way that God loves them. Loves what this whole paragraph's about. It's what the whole sermon's about. Actually, as you look in uh, Matthew 7, verse 12, you see Jesus says love is what the whole Bible is about. Matthew seven twelve, towards the end of his sermon, Jesus says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. So this is the law and the prophets. It's the whole Bible. It's to do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Um, Elsewhere, that say, he sums it up again. He says, the whole Bible is summed up in love your neighbor as yourself. Um, now, if you're new to the Bible, you may think that's you know, a, a surprise. A shock. Like you can summarize the whole Bible as it's, it's all about love, really? Because I thought the Bible was just a big list of rules that, that tells me not to do any things that I think are fun. Okay, but that's not, it's not actually what the Bible is. The Bible is the record of God's love for us and him showing us how to love one another. Um, in fact, th- there are rules in the Bible, of course. Uh, but there's one time recorded in the Gospels where someone comes up to Jesus and asks him, what is the most important command? What's the most important command? And Jesus says, the whole Bible can be summed up in these two related commands. First, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And second, love your neighbor as yourself. Again, loving God, loving others. In fact, that's, that's why if you look on your bulletin, in pretty big, hard-to-miss letters on the front of it. I say, love God, love people. It's two of the most important things that we're about as a church. 
because Jesus says this is really what the whole Bible is summed up as, loving God and loving other people. Love is the essence of the Christian life. So when Jesus says in Matthew 5, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, he's obviously talking about love. You know, if we were able to love perfectly, we would do everything else perfectly. He wants his followers to love God and to love other people the way God loves them. That's the goal. Okay, but let's be really clear here, because we could, we could misunderstand this and, and screw up pretty significantly. Um, Jesus is talking about a goal, not an entrance requirement. Okay, this is the goal of the Christian life, is for us to love perfectly like God does, but it's not the entrance requirement. He's not saying... You have to be perfect, and then you will be accepted. Okay, you notice that in, in verse 48, our, our verse today. He, he, he doesn't say, you therefore must be perfect, and then God will be your heavenly father. Right? He doesn't say, be perfect, and then God will say, okay, you're good enough, now I'll adopt you, now I'll be your father. No, he says, be perfect as your father is. He's already your father. Being perfect is not the entrance requirement, it's the goal. In fact, if you've been here a while, you know the Sermon on the Mount starts with this verse, Matthew 5, 3. Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit get the kingdom of heaven. As he's saying, those who have nothing, those who come with empty hands and say, I'm not perfect, I need help, those are the ones who get the kingdom. But then once you get in, Jesus says, I've got a goal. Okay, you, you come poor in spirit. Come with nothing. Come with, with imperfections. But I'm going to take you, and I'm going to make you more and more like me. Uh, this is like a, like a coach holding tryouts for a basketball team. Okay, and the coach just says, if you show up, you're on the team. Okay, open tryouts. Just show up. You're on the team. But once you're on the team, the coach has a goal, the coach has a plan. He says, you don't have to be perfect to be on the team, but once you're here, we're going to work, we're going to get better, we're moving towards a goal of being good basketball players. Okay, in the same way, Jesus says, here, come, you just show up. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Just, just show up. You want to be on the team? You're on the team. Okay, but once you're in, Jesus has a goal. He says, the goal is to help us to become perfect in love, like God our Father is perfect. So love's not the entrance requirement, it's, it's the goal. But it is a goal. And he expects us to pursue it. Yet, it, many of us, I fear, um, we're on the team. We're on the team. We, we love Jesus. We're, we're, we've come to him. We've come poor in spirit. We've been accepted. And yet, we really don't take this command very seriously. We don't take this command, be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect, very seriously. Now, why would that be? Well, there may be more reasons, but as I thought about it this week, I thought of two pretty significant reasons why we may not take this command of Jesus very seriously. And I think it comes both from the fact that sometimes we're too optimistic about the command, and sometimes we're too pessimistic. Um, see, first of all, I think that there's the, the, the reason that we're too optimistic. We wouldn't pursue this goal of perfect love uh, because we think we've already arrived. Is why chase after something I already have? You know, we're too optimistic about Christ's command to be perfect, or maybe too optimistic about ourselves and our ability to fulfill it. You know, you may hear me say, the whole Bible is summed up in the golden rule. Okay, just love your neighbor as you love yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And you think, well, that's not hard. Oh, I thought Christianity was harder than that. Okay, I got this. I keep the golden rule. 
oh, I guess I don't have to do anything after all. Now, that's just too optimistic. So, so with all respect, if that's your view, um, if you think you keep the golden rule, I'm just going to break it to you gently. You don't. Yeah, you don't. And no one who says that they keep the golden rule has thought seriously about what the golden rule actually says. Okay? Um, to love your neighbors yourself, to do unto others as you would have them do unto you is actually incredibly hard. Um, to show other people the same respect, not, not just your friends, not just the people that you, you, know, you really care about, but to show everybody the same respect, the same courtesy, the same generosity and love that you expect them to show to you. All the time, in all things, to every person, even when it's not easy, even when it's not fun, even when it costs you personally. As we've studied the Sermon on the Mount, um, beginning in verse 21 of chapter 5, Jesus gives a couple examples of what it really means to love your neighbors yourself. And he's taught us, you know, to, to really fulfill the golden rule, it means that you have to control your anger and to seek forgiveness from other people. It means you've got to get a handle on your sexual desires. It means you need to stay married even when you're unhappy or unfulfilled. It means you keep your word even when it hurts. That when people attack you, you turn the other cheek and instead of hating them, do good for your enemies. Okay, the golden rule, really easy to recite. You know, fairly easy to put in the needlepoint and stick up on your wall. But very hard to do. It's not natural. It's not natural for us to think like that. We prefer to keep it superficial and say, Jesus doesn't really mean perfect, perfect. He just wants us to be decent. And I'm decent. Okay, just be a nice person. Just, you know, it really just means try to help other people when you can. You know, avoid obvious, public, disgusting sins. Just be decent. Be a good person. You know, and if that's what we think Jesus is asking for here, then we're optimistic. We think, well, I've already arrived. I don't have to do anything because I'm already there. But that's not what he means. If we give another basketball example, it is March Madness after all. Um, but just a few uh, months, you know, the last couple months, my wife and I coached a youth basketball team. It was my first time coaching youth sports, second and third grade girls. It was a lot of fun. Okay, they're great. Uh, don't, don't take anything I'm about to say negatively towards the kids. They were wonderful. It was great. Um, but if you've coached anybody, you know, especially kids at all, you know that certain kids and, and maybe all kids at certain times are just uncoachable. Right? These second and third grade girls at various times thought they knew a lot more about basketball than I did. Uh, they thought that they'd arrived, you know, some more than others. And so I would try to teach them, or Jim would try to teach them and say, here's what you need to do. And they'd be like, you know, I got it, coach. I got it. I don't, I don't need to work on my left hand. I can only dribble with my right hand. Well, oh, what's the big deal? I'd have to dribble with both hands. You know, they think just because they understand double dribbling or traveling that somehow they've mastered the game of basketball. Okay, and I think there's that uncoachable spirit in all of us, right? Where we say to Jesus, no, 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 I got this. I've been a Christian for X number of years. I understand what it means to be a good and decent person, but Jesus is not just calling you and me to be decent. He's calling us to be perfect. And none of us have arrived. We are all second and third grade girls <laughs> trying to figure out how to play this game. Okay? We need a coach. None of us have arrived. The golden rule is incredibly hard to follow. We all have farther to go, which if we begin to think on that and, and follow that to its end, then we lead to the other problem keeping us from pursuing this command is that we begin to think it's too hard. We think we'll never get there. We don't pursue perfect love because we think, well, it's impossible. I could never 
ever get there. So the first view, too optimistic. This one's too pessimistic. The first view looks at Christ's commands, defines it down to make it attainable. This one takes an honest view at Christ's commands and says it's so far removed, so difficult to be perfect, I could never get there. Why even try? Why even try? If you call me perfect, I'm never going to be perfect. I might as well give up. Now this air reminds me of a joke. You have to decide for yourself if it's funny. I think it's funny. Uh, it's a joke about a mathematician and an engineer. Oh, good, some laughter already. It's already funny. Okay, there's a mathematician and engineer, and they sit down at a bar, and a, a beautiful woman walks in and sits down at the other end of the bar. The mathematician just sighs. Ugh, it's horrible. The engineer says, what? What's wrong? The mathematician says... The beautiful woman just walked in, sat in the other in the bar. I would love to go talk to her, but I could never actually get over there to talk to her. It's impossible. The engineer says, what do you mean it's impossible? He says, it's impossible. I'll prove it to you. You see, to get over to where she is, first I'd have to go half the distance between where she is and where I am. But once I get there, there's still space left between us. And, and so then I next have to go half the distance between where I am and where she is. But then there's still space between us. And, and I could do that again and again and again infinitely but there will always be some distance remaining. I could never get to the woman at the end of the bar. It's impossible. Throws up his hands, picks up his drink. The engineer just grabs his drink, starts walking down the end of the bar. Mathematician says, what are you doing? Didn't I just prove to you it's impossible to reach that woman? The engineer says, well, sure. I'm pretty sure I can get close enough to do some good. I thought there'd be enough engineers in our crowd we could get that one. Okay, But, but I think sometimes as theologians, or just as Christians, we, we think like the mathematician. Okay, we hear this command, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And I could prove to you from the Bible that you could never be perfect. You could probably prove to me from the Bible that you could never be perfect, that I could never be perfect. We're all sinners. There's only one person who's ever been perfect, Jesus Christ. He's the only one. We'll never get there. So this is a ludicrous command, right? We can never, let's just throw up our hands in despair, but I prefer to think like the engineer here. Okay? So you know what? It may be theoretically impossible for us to love one another perfectly, but I'm pretty sure that we can get close enough to do some good. I'm pretty sure we can get close enough to do some good. You know, it may not be theoretically possible to be perfect in this life, in our love, but I refuse to believe that Jesus is giving us a ludicrous command. I don't think he's giving us a pointless command saying, here's something that you should do, and by the way, you can never do it. He's saying the goal of the Christian life is to pursue a a love of others perfectly like God does. Jesus actually wants us to try to get a hold of our anger. He actually wants us to control our sexual desires. He wants us to improve our ability to stay married and to be married. He wants us to let our yes be yes and our no, no. He wants us to grow in our ability to turn the other cheek, to love our enemies. He's not just blowing smoke when he gives us these commands. Yes, I'll readily admit it's impossible to do perfectly all the time in this life. But that shouldn't stop us from trying. Because I think, I really think, we can get close enough to do some good. So we have this command. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus wants us to be perfect in love. We shouldn't uh, reject it because it's too hard. We shouldn't ignore it because we think we've already arrived. Jesus actually wants us to try. So how do we do that? How do we pursue perfect love? 
Right, this is the point, as I promised, where the sermon becomes an Easter sermon. Because up to this point, uh, all I've done is shown you that Jesus sets a goal for us that's technically impossible. And without the events of Easter, it would be hopeless. But because Jesus died and rose from the dead, we actually have the hope that we could make substantial progress towards this goal in this life. That we could actually become people who love others like God loves us. So two things, broadly, that we need if we're going to do this. How do we pursue perfect love? The first thing we need is that we need to receive the Holy Spirit by believing the gospel. This is the first absolutely critical thing we have to do if if this impossible goal is even going to be attainable. Receive the Holy Spirit by believing the gospel. So the gospel, or the good news, is the heart of of Christianity. The good news is this, that, that Jesus actually did live a perfect life. Okay, So technically impossible for any of us, but he did it. In fact, you read through the Gospels, any one of them, pick Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, just read through and look at this guy. Look at the way he loves people. Look how consistently and faithfully he shows real, genuine love for people. He never sinned. He did what he's commanding us to do. He was perfect as his heavenly father is perfect. He lived the life that we should have lived. Okay? And then he died the death that we should have died. See, because of our sins, because of our failure to love like we ought to love, we deserve to die. We do. But God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus took the punishment that we deserve for our sins. When he died on the cross, what we celebrate on Good Friday, when he died on that cross, he took the punishment for our sins, our failure to love. He showed the extent of his love by giving himself for us. But then the wonderful news is it didn't, it didn't stop there. That's what we celebrate today. I mean, we would, we would not be here if it ended with the cross. Thousands of people were crucified in history. The Romans loved crucifying people. Okay? It would have ended there, but it didn't end. Because Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead, triumphantly over the grave. So the good news is, now, because Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, if you want to be on the team, you just show up. He did it. He did it. He said, you just want me on the team? You show up. You, you believe the gospel. You believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead for you. You are on the team. You don't have to get perfect before you get on the team. He's already perfect for you. And he offers us all entrance by free grace. Okay? But it doesn't stop there, right? It doesn't stop there. We have a goal. And the good news of the gospel keeps getting better because Jesus doesn't just say, um, I live the perfect life. And now I want you to live the perfect life. He says, and I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. He enables us to live the perfect life by giving us the Holy Spirit. You see, this is also part of the gospel. When you become a Christian, you believe in Jesus, dying on the cross, rising from the dead, God himself moves into your life in the person of the Holy Spirit and gives you this power to change. There's a tremendous verse in Romans chapter 8. There's a lot of tremendous verses in Romans chapter 8. Here's one of them. Romans 8, 11 says, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Read that again. 
If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that is, so the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. Says, if that's true, if the Holy Spirit lives in you, the same one who raised Jesus from the dead, here's what you can count on. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The spirit will also give life to your mortal bodies. He will help you to live the Christian life. Okay, so, so if you think it's impossible to love other people perfectly, you know what else is impossible? Raising dead people is impossible. Bringing a person back to life who has been crucified by the highly effective executioners of the Roman Empire, that's impossible. But the Holy Spirit did that. It says that same Holy Spirit is in you. If that Holy Spirit is in you, you can do this. But if the Spirit's not in you, you can't. So the first thing you have to do if you pursue this, if you want to pursue perfect love, loving like God loves you, you've got to believe the gospel. Receive the Holy Spirit. And then the second thing is stay connected to the Holy Spirit as much as you can every day of your life. Stay connected to the Holy Spirit as much as you can every day of your life. See, when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit moves in, but it's kind of like uh, in your house... All right, you've got electricity, probably. I assume all of us have. Just, um, if not, maybe we can talk. And we've got a benevolence fund that can help you out with that. Uh, but in our houses, we have electricity. Okay? And it's nighttime, and it's dark outside, and it's dark in your house. And you're sitting there with a lamp and a plug. Okay? What do you have to do? If you want light, you need to plug your lamp in, right? Okay, the electricity's there. The power's there. You've got the light, but it's dark because you're not plugging in the lamp. Hey, but if you just plug the lamp into the power source, the light comes. Okay? You have the Holy Spirit if you're a Christian. But sometimes it's like we're sitting in the dark, wondering, why don't I have any power in my life? Why am I not able to change? Why am I not able to do any of these things that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount? Well, it's because you're not plugged in. Okay? In John 15, Jesus says, with an agricultural metaphor, he says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you unless you abide in me. So he's saying there's a, there's a, a vine, branches. So if the branch is broken off, not in the vine, it's not going to do anything. But if the branch is in the vine, it'll bear fruit. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If we want to do this, and I hope we do, if we want to grow in our love for other people and become like God the Father, we need the Holy Spirit. Not just one time, you know, I, well, I receive the Holy Spirit and he, and he lives in me. That is true. We need that. You've got to start with that. But then you need to plug in. You need to abide. You need to rely on the Holy Spirit. Stay connected as much as you can every day because we need that power every day. So how do we do that? Okay, I'm going to give you three things to wrap up. Three things that have helped Christians stay connected to the Holy Spirit throughout history. And three things that you and I need to do if we're seriously going to pursue loving people like God does. These are not revolutionary, but they're often neglected. Okay? Number one, regular prayer. Regular prayer. Do you think I was going to say something fancy? No. Okay. Regular prayer. If you want to stay connected to the Holy Spirit, if you want God at work in your life helping you to change, you need to talk to Him. 
You do. I mean, any, any marriage book worth its salt will tell you that, like, if you want to maintain your relationship with your spouse, just, you know, have five minutes of focused conversation every day. And that will radically change your marriage relationship. That's how it works in human-to-human relationships. That's how it, how it works with God. Just spend some time every day in some focused conversation with God. That will help you stay connected. Okay, number two, big shocker. Regular Bible intake. Regular Bible intake. Regular prayer, regular Bible intake. So through reading or listening, um, listening to sermons, doing Bible study, all sorts of stuff that you can do with that. Okay, but getting the Word of God in your life. The Bible is called the sword of the Spirit. The Bible is inspired by the Spirit. If we want to stay connected to the Spirit, we need to hear His words. And so you need to take the Bible in. And this will help you love other people. Third, so pray, read your Bible. And third, the fancy way I said it is regular participation in the life of the Christian community. Go to church. Go to church. Be a part of a church. We're not created to do this on our own. We need one another. If you want to stay connected to God and his transforming power, if you want to learn how to love, you need to be with God's people. So not just once a year, not once a month, not not even really just going to church on Sundays, which is wonderful and I love this gathering, but you need to be connected with other people in the church who know you, who you know, who will encourage you along the way throughout the week. We need one another. So if you want to learn to love, you you need to pray, you need to read your Bible. You need to go to church. These are not flashy applications. They're very obvious, but I think because they're obvious, so often they're neglected. But they're necessary. Jesus says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. When he says it, he means it. Not as an entrance requirement, but as a goal. So this Easter, my prayer for all of us is this. That today would be a day when we get serious about pursuing this goal, when we get serious about tapping into God's resurrection power, seeking to love like our Father by the power of the Spirit through commitment to prayer, the Bible, and fellowship. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these challenging texts. We we, we need this. We need this. Uh, I mean, I need a coach in my life telling me, here's what you need to do next. I am lazy, and I am overconfident and I am prone to be like those kids on my basketball team just thinking I got this I've arrived I'm also prone to thinking I can do it myself and I don't think I'm alone so all of us here Lord we want to just come to you in humility saying we're not perfect and we can't get there on our own but we believe that you've given us your Holy Spirit and we want you to help us Father, you say in your word that you oppose the proud, but give grace to the humble. So we humble ourselves this morning, ask for your grace. Help us to love. In Jesus' name.